This is Matt. I'm the lead pastor at Westminster Baptist Church. Thanks for engaging God's word with us. My prayer for you is that this would be supplemental to your discipleship journey. Uh, If we can connect you with a local church or discipleship group, uh, please contact us at info at discoverwbc.com. If God does not restore the broken, then Jonah would still be in the belly of a well, David still a madman in a cave, Abraham without children, Peter on a boat rejected by Christ, and Paul in a trial murdering Christians. But God is a God who is faithful to his promises to restore those. Jonah was told to go to Nineveh, and yet he went down to Joppa. Stuck in the belly of a well, God saves him out of that and restores him. David was going to be the king who would unite the kingdom together to once again be the people of God. But he saw something he wanted more. And so he chose Bathsheba instead of what God had for him. Paul was doing what he thought God wanted him to do. He was trying to love God, but yet missed God. And yet still God was faithful to wake him up and to give him a new future and a new plan. All of these people were restored by God, not because they were disobedient before, but because they were disobedient after they received the call of God. Today, you may be here thinking, I have been disobedient. I have struggled. I am doubting. God came to me when I was a teen or when I was a child, and now I'm just struggling and wrestling with how to follow after him. And honestly, Matt, I don't even know if I'm a Christian anymore. Maybe you're at church because of your spouse or you're at church because of your kids. You want them to grow up in church. Whatever reason you're here today, maybe you're just struggling with, should I even be here? Your faith is struggling because of your disobedience and you feel like, I don't even know if I want to follow Jesus anymore. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 9 through 20 wants to show us this. We can have assurance in God's obedience and in our obedience. You can have security today knowing that God has been obedient and that he will make you obedient. He will, in you and through you, create obedience, fruit, blessings for the world to see that will assure you that you are, in fact, his children. Your child of God. And today, if you feel like maybe you aren't, maybe you're struggling with if you're a child of God or not, I hope to encourage you and challenge you to push forward to a place where you can recognize, am I a child of God or am I not a child of God? This is what the author of Hebrews wants you to see, that God has promised to you, that he's promised salvation for you, that you don't have to doubt, you can be assured and secure and have an anchor of faith. You don't have to be scared. You don't have to worry about if God's going to continue to work in you, if God loves you. You don't have to. But, as Wayne Gruden would say, if you're in that camp with the almost Christians, Hebrews chapter 6, 1 through 8, which I like to think about like, you know, one of, those, one of the running backs for like the Ravens or something. Y'all, anybody think the Ravens are going to win the Super Bowl this year? Okay. It's two people because everybody else knows the first playoff game is coming. And yeah, anyways. So maybe you're like that person who believes in the first playoff game, the Ravens never win. I don't know why. Um, but maybe you're like that. Maybe you, maybe you, you know, you think about this person who's been sitting on the sidelines the whole year. They're part of the team, but they're not really committed. 
They're just kind of like on the sidelines. Everybody else gets all the glory. Everybody else gets all the fame. Everybody else does everything, but they get a little bit of experience. They get to go to the places. They get to, you know, travel with the team. They get paid. They're probably making like 300K a year for doing nothing. And you're like, well, they're doing something. But, you know, anyways, they're, they're, they're on the team. But at the end of the year, they're like, I'm done. I'm going to be a free agent. I'm going to go find a different team where I can play because I want to play. But then all of a sudden, that same team goes and wins the Super Bowl. You know who's not getting a ring? Yeah, the guy that left, right? The guy that abandoned the team. This is what Wayne Grudem calls the almost Christians. It's those people who experience enough of the people around them that they're like, I I think I might actually be a Christian. You know, it's like you've been in a Sunday school for long enough in your life that you have a Sunday school teacher who's like super loving and super gracious, super caring. They take care of everybody. And you're like, man, we are very loving. And I'm like, no, your Sunday school teacher is very loving. You're not exuding love. There's, the Holy Spirit's not working in you to create that love. But what we do sometimes is we're like, if, if the people around me are good, maybe you have a spouse who's just super awesome, like gracious, caring, takes care of people, you know, takes you along with them. And you're like, you're like just hoping to get a little bit of the salvation off of them, like a little scoop of that salvation on your own life. And you're like, yeah, I'm just going to kind of rely on this. Y'all, that's what kind of I think is going on in Hebrews chapter 6, 1 through 8, is where there's just a little bit of I'm enlightened. I get to experience a little bit of the miracles. I get to experience a little bit of the Holy Spirit because I see it around me and everybody else. But I don't necessarily have that repentance. In fact, it's impossible to, to draw me to repentance because I know enough, but I know almost too much to be good, a little bit too much to be dangerous. I don't know enough. I haven't followed enough. And I'm kind of in that place of like, uh, I'm just gleaning off of everybody else. And what the author of Hebrews wants them to see is there's these almost Christians, but then look at verse 9. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 9. Even though we are speaking in this way, and he shifts, right? We're speaking this way to, about these people, about this situation, but dearly loved friends. It takes on a completely different tone, a uh, different attitude, different people he's speaking to. Dearly loved friends, in your case, that is, This is different for you. In your case, we're confident of things that are better and that pertain to salvation. I know those people that rode the bench, that abandoned the team, that really weren't part of the team, just experiencing it paid on the team. I know that they left, but I want you to know that's not your experience. That's not who you are. You are different. So dearly loved friends, know that you have something better and some salvation coming for you. This is the assurance that these people needed. They needed to know that there was a warning, there was a challenge, but also there's a promise that can come only from God. Verse 10, for God is not unjust. Here's his promise. He's not going to forget your work. He will not forget your work and the love you demonstrated for his name by serving the saints and by continuing to serve them. Three reasons you're going to have assurance in your own works. One, you're going to work hard. Two, you're going to serve well. And three, you're going to love. Serve, work, love. We see those three right here in verse 10. He will not forget your work, the love you had, and the way you served people. God's not going to forget that. So you can be assured in your salvation. You can have assurance in you. Look at 1 John. I've written these things so that you may know that you believe. First John tells you, how are you going to know that you're a follower of Christ? By your love for one another. So most people will say, well, if I'm living, if I have this sin that I'm struggling with, Matt, and I'm fighting against this sin, how can I know that I'm still a Christian? Do you love people? What does that love look like? Is it a love from Jesus? Do you put yourself in a position where it could only be Jesus' love and not your love? So in other words, do you put yourself around people that you would not have loved before Jesus? Do you go love people that he's called you to love? 
people that you would have naturally gone to love? Do you put yourself in a place where it can only be God's work in you? Or do you only put yourself in places where you're comfortable with working in your own strength? For God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you demonstrated for his name by serving the saints. Work hard, love, and serve. We see this not only in this passage, but in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, and specifically verse 5, where it says, For this reason, make every effort. But it's not the only passage. You look at Philippians, you look at Colossians, you look at Ephesians, you're going to see uh, the author challenging them to work hard. Now, here's the thing. When we start talking about works in the church, it gets a little sketchy because we start thinking, is this salvation because of me? And is it that I got to work hard to get to heaven? We had a baptism earlier, Justin Ween, awesome experience. And he got baptized and in it he said, I thought my whole life that I had to work to be good enough to be baptized. And then I realized that Jesus worked hard enough that I can be baptized. I'm like, man, you preach louder than I preach. Let's go. You know what I'm saying? So all of scripture is telling us to work, work, work hard. But here's what we can't get backwards. Our assurance starts here, Jesus obedience. And then it moves here, your obedience. Jesus' obedience to your obedience. Don't get that backwards. We're going to talk about that for the rest of this sermon. I don't want you to flip that around. Starts with Jesus' obedience, then leads to your obedience. So work hard. Work out your salvation, as Philippians would say. Work, love, serve. Work, love, serve. Verse 11. Now we desire each of you to demonstrate the same diligence. Now that same diligence is what's going to lead you to full assurance. Laziness is not going to lead you to assurance diligence is going to lead you to assurance. And now it starts to sound like I'm talking about working again. We got to work for your salvation. No, I'm working because of my salvation. Same diligence for the full assurance of your hope until the end. And notice what it says in verse 12, so that you won't become lazy. This is that, you know, this is that time in your life. And look, I'm just being real. Like it's, it's that situation in your life where you're like, I've just gotten a little lazy in my life. You go to work and you're doing like, the bottom's pickings, like you're doing the least amount of work you can possibly do just to get by. You know what I'm saying? I went to a place yesterday and I was like, it was just my kids and I was helping my kids get something. And the worker was over there sitting in a chair on her phone, literally just looking at her phone when my kids are like needing help. And I'm like, you're not working for the glory of God, right? And it's just a picture. Like it gives me a perfect picture of you're not working for the glory of God. You're working for money or you're working for, you know, just to get by. And, and, it, and it hurts. It almost hurts you to see that because what I'm doing, what I'm seeing is like diligence for the full assurance. Laziness is not going to get you there. So if today you're, you're feeling like, man, I don't know if I am the Christian that I said I am. I don't know if I should be going to church. I don't know if I should be a dad who says that I'm going to lead my kids towards Christ or a husband that is loving my wife like Christ loves a church. I don't know if I'm doing those things. Okay, well, let's, let's look at this. Are you being diligent in your faith? Or are you being lazy in your faith? And if you said, I'm being lazy in my faith, let's go back to the verse and see what it wants us to do. What does the scriptures want us to do? Not be lazy, be diligent. So how am I going to be diligent? Okay, three things. Work, love, serve. How am I going to work, love, and serve? Well, I can't do that on my own. I know you can't. So what do we need? We need the Holy Spirit to work in us. Scripture tells us the Holy Spirit's doing at least two things. It's giving you fruit and it's giving you blessings to do the will of the Father. Those blessings, some of them are gifts, some of them are faith, some of them, whatever those blessings that God pours out into your life are going to give you the ability to do what you thought you couldn't do. Now get this, Ephesians 1 says this, 
This is, I hope, man, I hope this encourages you. This is what the author of Hebrews wants to do. So I hope this will bless you with some encouragement today. Uh, your, your assurance, that is, that you knowing that you are a child of God, is based on the down payment. So down pay like a deposit into your heart of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1 tells us that the Holy Spirit is a down payment, a guarantee of your salvation. Guarantee that you will endure, that you, will have, that you have hope. That one day God is going to uh, restore you back to what you were created to be in his image and that you will live with him for eternity in the garden-like experience. This is your future. Imagine that promise, verse 9. Go back to verse 9, the very beginning of this. Even though we are speaking this way, dearly loved friends, in your case, we are confident. Confident of what? That that's what you're going to experience. You have that kind of salvation in your life right now. I'm confident of that for you. That's what the author's saying. And I want you today at Westminster Baptist Church to feel confident that you are a child of God. You have this kind of hope because this world will throw you around. The winds and the waves come. The storms hit you in life and they want you to make you feel like you have no stability. You have nothing to have confidence in that you can't do it. As strong as we want to be, we are weak in so many moments. And if you haven't been weak yet, man, have kids. It'll show you your weakness so well. So that you won't become lazy, but will be imitators of those who inherit the promises through faith and perseverance. Verse 12 is setting up the illustration that we're going to get for the, from verses 13 through 20. He says, be imitators of those who inherit the promises through faith and perseverance. Faith and perseverance. I want you to note down two things that he says about Abraham here. One, faith and perseverance, and two, patience. All right, I want you to just note those two, things down, two, those two things down. He wants to be imitators of faith and perseverance and patience. So look at verse 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, uh, since he had no one greater to swear by, he swore by himself. Now think about that for a second. Why did God swear by himself? Because he can't swear by anything else, because if he swears by something else, other things always fail. They always mess up. They always are fickle. They, they go back and forth, right? Tossed by the waves, as Ephesians tells us. So if they go back and forth, and that would mean that God's promise goes back and forth. But you can know that if God swears by himself, then it's not going back and forth, because God's character is consistent. He is never changing. So now I can have security in the promise, not security in my own obedience or strength. I have security in the promise. So what is the promise? Look at verse 14. I will indeed bless you and I will greatly multiply you. That's the promise to Abraham. I will indeed bless you and I will multiply you. He's going to be a big nation and the nation's going to be blessed. He's going to curse those who curse them. He's going to bless those who bless them. It's a protection, provision, multiplication, all of those things for Abraham. This is good for a nation that didn't have a lot of people and didn't have protection. God was going to take care of them. That's the promise. Verse 15. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham obtained the promise. Now, for my, for my Bible scholars out there, I want you to go back for a second. I want you to ask yourself, was Abraham a man of patience? Think about his life. Think about his story. So this man is an old man. And by the, by the time that he gets, gets to an old man, patient throughout his life, all of a sudden Sarai and the family kind of create this plan. It's like, 
God promised you a, 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 a child, right? But it hasn't really happened. So how about you go a different way and do your own thing, Abraham? And you can have a child, and that new child will be the fulfillment. Everything will be good. Well, it didn't work out that way. And eventually Sarai, his wife, Sarah, has a child. And that was God's plan. So patient for his whole life. And then at the end of his life, impatience, a terrible mistake, leads to terrible nations and problems for the rest of uh, Israel's existence. And uh, all of a sudden, God in, writes this in Hebrews. God writes this about Abraham. After waiting patiently. Man, I hope that God does that for you and for me. I hope that in heaven, God's like, and Matt McMillan, he was a patient man. I'm going to be like, hmm, what month did you choose, Lord? <laughs> like, you zone in on that week, you pull it out. I don't know about that one. I just, man, like that just... He just skips like the whole portion of Abraham's, all Abraham's struggles and failures, but it's victories and the good things and all those different things. He just kind of summarizes and he was a patient man. I think that's the grace of God. Like it's just a little snippet of Abraham's life and just a little comment. But how much grace is in that, that he would call Abraham a patient man. It says Abraham attained the promise that Isaac promised. Verse 16, for people swear by something greater than themselves and for them a confirming oath ends every dispute because God wanted to show his unchangeable purpose even more clearly to the heirs of the promise. He guaranteed it with an oath. And it's one of the things I love most about scripture and in my own life. Jonah, go to Nineveh. You're going to preach. It's going to be good. Jonah's like, no, I'm not. I'm going to go to Joppa. He gets swelled up by a whale. God saves him because humans do that. We mess up. God saves him. But yet still, God takes him to Nineveh, preaches, and then God redeems the city of Nineveh through the preaching. And yet uh, Jonah still needs help. So God helps him again because God continues to help. There's David found in a cave, mad, like, can't think straight, not good, not a good situation. God redeems him and protects him all throughout Psalms. We see that story. Peter denies Jesus three times after falling after him for many years, yet God restores him and makes him a huge player in the, in the kingdom mission. God is in the business of taking people who struggle and fail and bringing them back, but not because of them, because of his purpose, his promise. And y'all, that's good. Because if it was based on our promise, it would not be good. What did Peter say to Jesus right before he denied him? I'll go wherever you want. I'll die for you. You sure, Peter? But I think I could ask myself the same thing. You sure, Matt? Like every single one of us should ask ourselves that question. You sure? Because we all struggle, we all fail, and we all wrestle. But that doesn't mean it's over. It's not done. Why? Because it's not dependent upon our promise, but the promise of God. Because God wanted to show His, not Matt's, and not yours, His unchangeable purpose even more clearly. I think sometimes God uses the worst of the worst just so He can clearly show that He's the most gracious. Oh yeah, you think I can use Peter? 
He denied me three times. That was pretty rough. I can use Paul, who murders Christians. That's my God. Like, he'll, he'll use you. Don't think you're sitting in here like, I can't use me. No. God might use you just to show how radically transformative he is with his grace. So today might be the day that, the day that God is going to wake you up from wherever you are and go, I'm not finished with you because it's not you. It's my promises. Show his unchangeable purpose. So that through two unchangeable things, purpose and promise, the oath, swore by himself, not by you, in which it is impossible for God to lie. So there it is. God can't lie. That's why he swore to himself, not to you. We who have fled for refuge, we're going to find refuge in God. And when we find refuge in God, see what happens. It might have strong encouragement to seize the hope set before us. Strong encouragement to seize, to grab hold of, to take the hope that is set before us. When I find refuge in Christ, I find hope that is set before me. Now look at verse 19. We have this hope, that hope that you've taken a hold of as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. That's your anchor. When I think about an anchor, I think about boats, right? Boats that are uh, being faced with waves, wind, the storms that are crashing down on them, things that are happening to boats that are out of their control, yet there's an anchor that's down and it's grabbed hold of the foundation. It's holding on and it's not going to let go so that the boat doesn't move. What is your anchor in life when life is hard? You may say right now, you're like, Matt, you don't understand why I'm doubting my faith. You don't understand how hard it's been. I've lost this person I can't have faith. My, my faith is wavering because of how much I have been hurt by the church, by my family. Whatever it is, man, you're just in a situation where you don't even know if your faith is going to withstand the place that you are in. I want, you to remind, I want you to see this. It's not your faith and your obedience that is your anchor. It's God's promise and purpose for your life. Verse 19, we have this hope. What hope? God's promise and purpose for your life, not your obedience, not your goodness. If you came to faith the first time when you were a kid or first time when you were a teenager, just like Justin shared in his testimony, and the rest of your life you struggled and wrestled, that doesn't mean that God's finished with you. It doesn't mean you're like in Hebrews chapter 6, 1 through 8, you've fallen away and he's done. It doesn't mean that he can't wake you up. It just means that he has to, not you. We need him to wake us up to the purposes and promises like Jonah crying out in the middle of the belly of a well, like David crying out in Psalm 51, like Peter crying out when he says, I love you, I love you, I love you. Like Paul crying out when he's blinded and needs somebody to restore his sight. Sometimes we just need God to wake us up to his purposes and promises to find the anchor that holds us in the middle of the worst seasons of our lives, firm and secure. Now, y'all, this is, this is the epitome of God's grace and love on display for you that will give you, I hope will give you security. Look at the second half of verse 19. It, as in the hope and the anchor, enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Jesus has entered there on our behalf as a forerunner because he has become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. All right, so here's what, this, here's what this means. It's like me, a sinner as I am, going into the throne room of God, to that inner sanctuary, going to the throne room first by myself, going into that throne with God the Father there and showing up and God looking at me like, hey, what are you doing here? 
What do you have that is worth you being in the presence of God the Father? You've made so many mistakes in your life. You've failed so much. You've sinned so much against me. You've done everything evil in my sight. Why are you here? That's what we deserve. If there's true justice, that's what I deserve. Because I went in there first. But what does the verse say? Jesus has entered there on our behalf as a forerunner. Now, let me show you a different scenario. Jesus goes before us. He's the forerunner. When he steps into that inner sanctuary, he's our advocate. And when he advocates, here's what it sounds like. Father, forgive them for they know not what they've done. Come on in here. And he's talking to Father like, this is your child. This is the one I've chosen. This is the one I died for. I freed and forgave them. Let them into your presence. And all of a sudden, now we're coming behind Jesus. And when we step in, it's not based on what we have or our worth. We're going, Father, don't look at me. Look at him because I'm not good enough. Look at him and, and, and through him, I'm your child. So, so know me and love me. And all of a sudden he's loving you, not because of you or what you've done, but because of Jesus and what he's done. And so here's where we can't reverse things, right? I'm freed and forgiven because of Jesus' obedience, not mine. Because he was my forerunner. And when I get it right, I can be freed and forgiven because of his obedience so that now I can be assured because of my obedience. And if I don't flip those, it's good. This is healthy for me to say, because of what Jesus did for me, I'm going to live my life different because the Holy Spirit is in me. Because in Galatians, it says he poured it out in me so that I can cry out now, Abba, Father, and live my life different with gifts and blessings that are going to change me. The fruit of the Spirit is going to come through me because of Jesus. The forerunner has given me something to live different by that when I wake up in the morning, I can go, yesterday I did something that was abnormal. I wouldn't have normally done it in my own flesh and sinfulness. I did something that only God could do in me. And if only God can do it in me, then he's in me. And if he's in me, then I know I'm a child of God. And if I'm a child of God, then I don't have to doubt my faith anymore. You see that? I need a forerunner to go before me because if I go in there first, I'm not going to look good. And so when you get those straight, it's, it, I'm assured because of his obedience. And then I'm assured because of my obedience, because the Holy Spirit has done the obedience in me, like Galatians 5 says. We have this hope as an anchor. My anchor is that Jesus went in there before me. Look, here's my anchor, guys. So let's talk, let's talk real. Husbands, wives, you struggle with your marriage. You struggle with how you treat one another. Children, you struggle with how you treat your parents. Workers, you struggle with how you treat your boss and your coworkers. We struggle with how we do these things. Last, think about the last time that you, you, you treated someone in a way that you shouldn't have treated them. And that instant thought, like, man, I struggle. I am a terrible dad. I'm a terrible husband or a terrible wife. Man, I really struggle as a coworker. I'm, I'm messed up. I can't do this. I failed so many times. I'm broken. But I didn't go in there first. I didn't step into the throne room first. So dads, now I'm going, okay, I got to start over. I got to repent. I got to change God transformed me. I don't want to be this person, but I know I'm forgiven. I'm not going to leave that. I'm not going to doubt that because here's what it looks like. When you take obedience as your assurance, when you say the Holy Spirit has worked in me with blessings and gifts to work through me with that love and that fruit of the Spirit, and I fail, what do I fall back on? Jesus' obedience. When you get it right, when you get it right, you say, 
I'm saved because of Jesus' obedience and I'm assured because of my own obedience. But when my own obedience struggles, I fall back on the forgiveness and freedom of Jesus Christ. So I'm falling back on that. Flip those around. When you struggle with your obedience and you're not doing what God's called you to do, what do you fall back on? Nothing. You don't fall back on anything because you're not, you're not, there's nothing before you. There's only something after you. And, and all of a sudden, I need something before me. That's why he's the forerunner, before me. Because when I struggle, I fall back on my Savior every single time. So what does Hebrews tell us? Hebrews chapter, Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 through 8 says, yes, you can fall back on Jesus, but be careful. Because if that's where you're living, if that's where you're living, you keep going back and you throw Jesus up on the cross every single time, figuratively. You throw Jesus up on the cross like, man, you just get back up there, Jesus, for this sin again. What you've forgotten is the Holy Spirit's going to work in you. You've missed that. So what we, what we forget is when that forerunner went into the sanctuary, he also told the Father, you know, bring me back so that I can send them what they need, what they need, the Holy Spirit. What do you need today, dads, wives, husbands, brothers and sisters? What do you need today? You might think, I need to be more patient, like Abraham. Maybe you think, I need to be more obedient, like Jonah. Maybe you think, you, I, need to, I need to just listen to what God tells me to do and just stop trying to do something else like Peter. Whatever you think, like, I just need to be different. I need to stop gossiping. I need to stop lying. I need to stop cheating. I need to stop stealing. Whatever it is, do you need that or do you need the Holy Spirit? And I would challenge you that if you really want to know that you are a child of God and that you can transform and change your ways from those things, then you need the Holy Spirit to be working in your life. I can't do this alone. I can't love my kids the way that I ought to love my kids if I don't have the Holy Spirit working in me. I can give you three main points. We're not secure in our disobedience. If you're lacking security today, it's probably because you're focused on your disobedience rather than Christ's obedience. We are secure in his obedience. And we can be assured in our own works. So you may say, well, Matt, what if I'm being disobedient? Fall back on Christ. Let the Holy Spirit work in your life again. Find that obedience. As counselors, this is very terrible advice, but just stop it. You know, I say that sometimes. You just stop it. Maybe you can't stop it. I want to be real. Maybe you can't stop it. That's where you need other people to come into your life. That's where you need the Holy Spirit to change things. So if I say to you, stop it, and you're like, Matt, I can't just stop it. Perfect. You're at the, you are at the right spot of humility where you can say, I need help. Where do I find help? Okay, two places. The Christ body and Christ. Christ body and Christ. So let's go to both. Let's find his church. And let's find him and let's get some help. Okay? So I don't want you to live a life not knowing who you are. I don't want you to live thinking you're not a child of God. I want you to know who you are and what you can do. You can be transformed, like Romans 12, 1 and 2 tells us. So we're not securing our own disobedience. We are securing Christ's obedience. That's first. And then we're assured in our own works because the Holy Spirit's the one doing them. 
So I'm going to give you three ways that can help you to understand where you are. First, what disobedience leads you to doubt your faith and security? This is a question to ask yourself. Write it down. Uh, take a picture of it on the screen, whatever you want to do. We are not secure in our disobedience. Uh, sorry, what disobedience leads you to doubt your faith and security? You're identifying a disobedience that when you do it, you go, I'm not sure I'm still a follower of Christ. This is that one thing that just keeps making me think maybe I'm not a believer. I get mad or I get uh, um, uh, uh lust for, I get uh, um, a lie or a cheat or whatever it is, uh, uh, I'm impatient, any of those different things. Whatever it is that says I must not be a follower of Christ because this thing is continually messing with me in my life. Take that, grab a hold of it, and that's the one thing that you're going to take to Christ, take to Christ's church and say I'm going to stop doing this because I'm tired of it making me think that I'm not a follower of Christ. It's trying to rob me of a security that God promised for me. Second, what does uh, obedience does Christ do that leads you to assurance? This could be his life, death, resurrection. He lived the life uh, that I couldn't live, died the death I should have died, raised from the dead so that I can raise too. So you might take out that one portion of the cross and say, because of his faithfulness on the cross, I feel like I can endure any persecution in this world. But there could be other things. Maybe you say, I want to remember the obedience of Christ when Satan tempted him three times because I'm being tempted. And so you're going to put that on repeat in your mind. A rhythm of your day is going to be to say, Jesus overcame the temptation. Jesus overcame the temptation. I can overcome the temptation because he's in me. I can overcome that temptation. You should put, you're putting his obedience, not your own, on repeat in your mind to remember that you are assured by his obedience and not your own. Third, what is the spirit working in and through you to do that will bring hope and assurance in your life? This is like waking up in the morning and going, God did something in me today, yesterday that I know I couldn't do, and because he did it in me yesterday, I'm going to believe and know that I am not uh, an unbeliever. I am he, I'm a child of God, and he's working in me. And then you're going to set yourself up. Here's your one way. This is one way you can practically live today differently as the band comes forward. One way you can practically live differently this week. I want you to identify, maybe in the context of a group, or with family, or whoever you trust, identify one way this week that you can put yourself in a position where you have to depend upon the Holy Spirit. Put yourself in a position where you must trust, depend, need the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish it. Let the Holy Spirit show you what he can do through you. If you always are in a place in your life where you can rely on your own power and strength, then it makes sense why your faith would be dependent upon your strength and your weakness. Sometimes you're weak, you feel like you're not a, f a follower of Christ. Sometimes you're strong, you feel like you're a follower of Christ. You need to put yourself in a place where you can see what Christ, the Holy Spirit, can do in you. And then I can say, it's not what I've done. It's not how good I am or how bad I am. It's not how strong I am or how weak I am. I remember what God did in me. I can remember what God did in me. It's a very humbling place to be. You got to put yourself in a place where you don't have the power. That's so humbling, but it's also so assuring. Dearly loved friends, you are not the almost Christians. Be assured in Christ's obedience and in your obedience, for it is the Holy Spirit who's working in and through you. Let me pray for you. <coughs> Father, we love you, we trust your word the warning and the promise, the promise that's rooted in your obedience and not our own, would it be a security and assurance for us today as your, your faithful ones, your church, that we are your children. 
that we might be able to live different knowing that we are secure in your salvation. So, Father, we love you. It's clear we need you. Would you work through us? We praise you, God, in your son's name. Amen. You have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more about following after Jesus, uh, please contact us and we would love to talk more about your relationship with Christ and how you can grow in your spiritual journey.